The Boys of Tech with Edwin Herman and Brett King. Welcome to episode 56 of the Boys of Tech for Monday the 8th of March 2010. Your hosts are, I'm Edwin Herman, welcome Brett King. Hello. Brett, uh, yesterday I didn't see you at Newtown Fair. I didn't go, completely forgot about it. I remembered at the last minute, it was a great fair. Loved. I love fairs, and it was such a nice day as well. Mm, it was a brilliant day. These, you know, it's funny, we, we had a very late summer, but let's just hope that it continues right through the rest of March, because that'd be really nice. Mm. For the rest of the world who's stuck in winter, let's kick off the show. Uh, first up, I wanted to talk about the botnet that's been taken down by Spanish police. Yes. 13 million computers, Brett. 190 countries. Can you believe it? Yes, I can completely believe it. Oh, you know, Microsoft were t- trying to take down one we talked about, I think, last week yeah, on mm-hmm. episode 55. And now we've, uh, you know, this week we've had uh, news that the Spanish police have arrested three men responsible for what is actually one of the world's biggest networks of virus-infected computers. Exactly. You know that more than half of the Fortune 1000 companies have computers involved in the spotnet, unknowingly? It's quite a surprise that, isn't it? You would think that the Fortune 1000 companies would be the companies most likely to, you know, actually have some secure networks. You'd think so. Well, anyway, this uh, with a bit of luck, the, the spam levels will have started to drop or will do soon, if not already. It's one of those things though, that it seems to be a, a cat and mouse game. I, you know, I, I like seeing these stories about botnets being taken down, but sometimes I can't help thinking that, that you know, if it's a, a futile... Yeah, I would say that the the efforts are certainly futile because it only takes uh, you know the, the somebody out there to come up with a new way of infecting, exploiting a new uh, exploit on people's computers, and they will get those same PCs which have just been freed back on a different botnet. Yeah, because and the people that are susceptible to these things the first time round are probably likely to be just as susceptible the next time round. Precisely, the main forum for getting a computer to be infected is social engineering the person sitting at the computer getting them to click on something they shouldn't have clicked on yep well hopefully this will have an effect on the spam levels at least for some time that'd be quite nice now brett you've got a playstation haven't you i do i've not turned it on recently though did you use it on the first of march no i've fortunately not used it since mid-february (laughs) <laughs> oh, I laugh. You see, I'm, if you've been watching the, the TechWise, you'll know that a bug affected the PlayStation 3, not the slim one, but the, the one that you've got, in fact, Brad, uh, mm. on the 1st of March, because what, it, what happened was the software was expecting the date to change from the 28th of February to the 29th. And as you know, there is no 29th of February this year. And no. so on the 1st of March, it, 
it got, I think, reset to 1900 or something and it just lost the plot and wouldn't work. Well, it didn't stop completely. It didn't fully brick the system. It is just reset the, the date. You can't log on to the PlayStation Network. And if you attempt to launch a game that stores trophy data, the game will tell you that you have failed to install the trophies and will exit the game. But if you play a game which doesn't store any sort of trophy data, it has no problem. I thought all these date bugs had had gone, you know. We had the year 2000, we had, there was another one on Y2K10 or whatever it is, you know, 2010. There was a a number of bugs as mm. the clock ticked over. And, you know, I, <laughs> yeah, I thought we kind of sorted that. I thought, I thought we kind of knew what we were doing now with dates. <laughs> well, it's, it's like any piece of software, any piece of firmware. If the person who coded it wasn't thinking ahead, then it'll break. <laughs> or if the person who coded it didn't know their leap years. <laughs> I reckon the PlayStation software was written in Microsoft Excel. <laughs> I, I, I say that because to this day, there is a bug where Microsoft Excel thinks that the year 1900 has the date 29th of February. And there is no 29th of February in the year 1900. And this bug has existed right from day one with Excel all the way through to now. Now, to be fair to Microsoft, they actually know about it, but they've opted not to change it because existing documents with formulas that perform computations on dates and so on are going to break because there'll be a day out for anything you know in that period in the 1900. So that's why I reckon the PlayStation 3 is based on Excel. There's my reasoning. <laughs> well, I don't think it's based on Excel. It might have been programmed <laughs> by the same person who yeah, the, programmed Yeah, the same Excel. person. <laughs> Maybe we could go through the personnel files of both companies and see who's, <laughs> who left Microsoft and went to work for, for Sony. <laughs> now, the mystery of how Twitter was, is going to make money is finally out. We knew the ads were coming, but no one really knew exactly how. And it's been revealed now that what Twitter planned to do is to place ads in searches, in Twitter searches. Ads in Twitter searches. Well, since I don't have Twitter, you're going to have to tell me about these Twitter searches. Well, you can just search on various topics to see what people are talking about. But, the, you know, in Twitter, but it, to me, it actually, why? I, I actually don't get it myself. Like, I don't search so much on Twitter. I mean, I don't see the point. I mean, you're just watching people tweet and that's what you do. And you follow people that are interesting or that you know, or both. And, mm-hmm. but why, you know, you can search. Like if, you know, if, if I do a search for chilly earthquake or something, it'll come up with a whole heap of tweets. And maybe I'd do that for that kind of thing to see what's happening if I want to see what's happening up to the minute yep. on a particular topical, you know, news item. But other than that, it's not really something you'd, you'd do, at least not me anyway, which is why I'm kind of surprised that Twitter are planning to, to do ads in the search. I would have more expected them to have them sort of inserted into the into the feed, which is more intrusive, admittedly. But mm. how many? How many? I, I I can only assume they've done their numbers and they know how many searches they have, and therefore how much money they they're going to get per search, and therefore uh, turn that into a an annual figure. Mm. But it does surprise me that they're going to get that much. The ads themselves will be in the same Twitter format as individual tweets. A hundred and forty characters or fewer mm-hmm. there you go so that's the mystery solved as to how twitter plans to monetize their system no oh, we'll have to wait and see if it actually makes money for them 
Well, I, I certainly don't, as I said before, I certainly don't do a lot of searches on Twitter, so they're not going to get much money from me, that's for sure. Mm. Right, on to Skype then. Now, Skype is apparently taking its service to Nokia phones, which I thought was very interesting because network carriers aren't so keen on applications like Skype because it may, means that people can actually make calls for less money. Skype's existed for the BlackBerry for a while and Skype came out for the, the iPhone, but there was, you remember all of the furor out around that when it first came out. It is a, a difficult thing for the, the network operator themselves to want to have on the network. They are there to get their revenue from people making calls over their network. And with most of the networks these days all upgrading to 3G and 3.5G and all of those sorts of things to allow you to have uh, data connectivity uh, across your, your smartphone, we're seeing a big shift to it becoming more a, you know, a, a mini internet enabled device and more than many, just a phone. Do you think many people would use a Skype service? You will probably find that your main Skype users on a phone will possibly be those when you're talking to a Skype user who is further away than your local areas. Because if it's a local area or, you know, a national call, it's relatively cheap. But let's say, for instance, you were in the US and I was still sitting here in New Zealand, it would be cheaper for me to do a Skype call, use the, the data cost. Oh, I see. There, there would be an incentive there. Yeah, yeah, actually, there would be an incentive there. You're right. Mm. Well, it'll be interesting to see the uptake on this because I know that network operators have for a long time tried to resist that kind of thing. Mm. Obviously, the handset manufacturers, uh, they, they want to put out something like this because it, it looks good for them, but they still gonna they still have to keep the network operators happy as well. So, true, it's, it's, true. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's the blurry fine line of the new wave of smart phones, smart devices, is they are more than just a phone. That data connectivity, that's connectivity through the cellular network or via Wi-Fi is what is making them, you know, that, that, that step up, that step beyond. They are a mobile computing device and not just a phone. So we are starting to see that blurred line. Well, no, we are definitely seeing that blurred line in this particular device between something which, you know, in the past had its use and is now something which is blurring across the way that it connects with the world. So that's Skype on Nokia. Potentially 520 million users could be using this. That's how many use Skype at the moment. Well, now onto something which is rather worrying in a way. A, a recent survey showed that almost a quarter of Germans would embrace an implantable microchip. Oh, man. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> the, 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 studious, <laughs> the studious Germans. 23% of them are open to the idea of having a microchip implanted under their skin. Well, it is rather worrying because just looking at the way that, you know, the last 10, 20 years have gone, you could almost see it happening. You can almost see governments around the world, country by country, slowly introducing these mandatory microchips. Maybe at birth, or, you know, phase them in. So every newborn baby has to have a microchip inserted. Mm. All I can think of is that the yeah the, the the politicians who would enthusiastically sit down and vote this sort of stuff in don't have a clue about the technology involved <laughs> and are big fans of those great dystopian future movies, Big Brother Society, where they can pinpoint directly where all of their citizens are 
I just wonder whether you could render them useless by, I don't know, applying yourself in uh, aluminium tape. Well, no, no, no. I was thinking of actually breaking them by applying a very strong magnetic field or something. Probably could, but then that would defeat the point of having the implant in the first place. Yeah, but I mean, if you have no choice and your government's ah, well, for the the time being, we've got the the you know, almost every country has laws against people intruding in your body. Yeah, but they that's right. But then they make an exception to say, but in the case of a microchip inserted under our laws, which are mandatory. I think we're still safe for the for the time being. It's twenty three percent was was the result of that survey. Twenty three percent of Germans thought it was a good idea, but it still is a minority. But that twenty three percent were quite specific in that there had to be tangible benefits to having this chip. It couldn't just be a chip that let the government know where they were. It had to have a tangible benefit for the chipped citizen. Well, that's easily done. As a government, you just um, impose a rule that says you cannot receive any government services unless you're microchipped. I mean, look, I don't want this to happen, but, but you know, it wouldn't surprise <laughs> me if what I'm describing yeah. is going the, to happen one day. The things you're saying are a lot more what you would call a dictatorial government than most governments you would hope. Well, it makes you wonder how much we'll take dictatorial before. Dictatorial for that. <laughs> And can you imagine the marches, the people up in arms, if any government tried to make that mandatory for the total population? I can see most people being, you know, quite okay with them chipping prisoners, etc., while they were in prison as a quick way of detecting if they'd gotten out. But anything further than that, why would I need a chip when I could carry a card? There's no difference between the chip and the card. And, well, there's no difference in the ability to steal the information off the chip. No, true, but it is easier to steal a physical card and use it if you if you can, whereas, you know, to, to physically steal a, a microchip... Yeah, but you don't need to physically steal it. There would be, what, RFID chips, probably, if we're talking about technology that exists now. And you can steal the information and clone an RFID chip by being not that close to it. If you knew specifically where the chip was on a person, if it's yeah, in their hand, could, could, for instance, yeah, yeah. you know, if you were unscrupulous, you just have your RFID reader on a place where people lean. You're right. It, it doesn't let you... I, but in the cases where you've got a physical presence, so, I don't know, someone's going through border security, for example, mm-hmm. can't have your RFID card reader with you and say, oh, here... You know, I mean, they're going to want to read it off your arm or wherever or wherever the chip is. Well, yeah, but if you can clone the chip, then I, I steal your chip information. I create a clone. I remove mine, put in my clone of you, and I am you. I go through the security thing. I'm you. My chip says I'm you. Until the, yeah, until they look at the cameras and realize, well, hang on, this, this person's... But yeah, you're right. I know what you're but, saying. But, yeah. <laughs> but then you get into the situations of, you know, people become complacent about the technology they're using. And it's like, well, the chip's in you, so it's you. The The purpose of the whole chip thing was so that it identifies you, and people just start getting through. You have your lax security guards who go, eh, you've put on some weight. Or, <laughs> wow, you're significantly darker than you look on your photo. Or oh, you've had a sex change. <laughs> well, that would be a very 
poor criminal. You're a six foot blonde. <laughs> that would be a very poor criminal to clone the wrong person's chip. <laughs> I don't see, yeah, th- those sorts of things, identity tracking, that sort of stuff is just not as not a good enough tangible benefit to have something stuck in me. Yeah, I have I a guess- face and other data which can be used in a card and produce the same result. I guess what you're saying can be done. You'd have to, though, still get past the encryption because you still need to bypass that. But, you know, over time... That is quite true, but I do believe that we did do a story in one of our previous podcasts where we talked about the security and the, you know, security in finger quotes of RFID chips and how easy it was to get the information off them. Well, maybe we should let uh, the Germans try this first, and we'll see how well it goes and make a decision based on that. How does that sound? <laughs> yes. But look, I, I think you're, I, I take your point, though. I think in New Zealand anyway, and I, I don't know about other parts of the world, I'm sure there are other countries that will be similar, but I think at least in New Zealand, there would be quite an uproar, almost a civil uprising. There would be. We are not a country who would sit down for that particular thing. I think that would be pushing it too far. Because we are known to be laid back and, you know, the government does something and the New Zealand citizens go, ah, that's terrible, right, give me another beer, would you? You know, whereas I think, as you said, this, if this came today and the government said, right, mandatory microchipping for everyone in New Zealand, yeah, there'd be people marching down to the government in Wellington and, and all sorts. Yeah. All right, some interesting facts. You know, the Chilean earthquake has shortened the days slightly. So no longer do we have 24 hours. We have a little bit less. In fact, 1.26 microseconds less time per day. Wow, that's interesting. I don't think it's going to shorten my work day, though. Well, you could. You could take- gonna, can, I, can I go to my employer and say, Hi, the earthquake has made the day 1.26 microseconds shorter. Can I now work 1.26 microseconds less to, 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 to balance things out, please? <laughs> no, you're right. It is very small, but it is, it's, it's an interesting thing. It's an interesting fact. I, really, I, I wonder how they measured that. Yeah. But the other, th- the other thing it did is it shifted the Earth's axis a little bit by eight centimeters. <laughs> how do they measure that as well? Well, that one's a little more easy to to measure, wouldn't it be? Because there are tons of fixed points, which is probably how they worked out the the, the slowdown. When, uh, GPS, you know, I wonder. Now I think about it, yeah. There are all those fixed points outside of the planet, and there are also all of those laser measuring devices they have around the world on different faults to measure, you know, how far apart different parts of it are getting. Well, remember the uh, Indonesian earthquake as well in Sumatra? That shortened the length of a day by 6.8 microseconds and shifted the Earth's axis by about 7 centimetres. Wow. <laughs> not sure if that was in the same direction or not, so I'm not sure if we're now 15 centimetres out or whether yeah. it's gone back the other way, so we're only 1 centimetre out. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> oh, fascinating stuff. And speaking of fascinating, it's, I just read an interesting story this week about a man who had what's known as EHS, which is electrohypersensitivity. Mm. So it was an interesting thing. You you hear claims about people like this in most countries. News will have reported something or somebody saying that they've got EHS. But yeah, yeah apparently it's, it's yeah. Apparently Sweden's the place to be if you want to um, live with EHS. 
Yeah, because they officially recognise that as a disability, don't they? Yes. So people with this condition, when they're exposed to electromagnetic radiation, like what comes out of a cell phone and radio transmitters, cell phone transmitters. all that sort of stuff. Yep, all that sort of stuff. They can actually feel, they feel ill. They can feel the effects of the electromagnetic radiation and they feel nauseous and some of them even go unconscious. Mm. Dizziness, headaches, sleep disturbance. It's, it's incredible because you wouldn't think that the human body could actually detect electromagnetic radiation physiologically. Yeah, and there have been many, many different studies about the the different, you know, the different parts of the electromagnetic spectrum and their impacts on the human body. So we know that ionizing radiation, so things that come from nuclear sources, um, X-rays, all that sort of stuff, we know that has a a physical effect. It damages the the bonds between molecules in the body, and so it damages the the, the body's tissues. But the non-ionizing Radiation in the electromagnetic spectrum that is used in radio frequency, wireless, cell phones, all that sort of stuff is non-ionizing and has not so far in, you know, in tests been shown to have a significant effect on human body tissue. So the, Other the, than if it's relatively high power, it makes it warm, warms you up a bit. So on a cold night, stand underneath a cell phone tower. Yes. <laughs> I don't think it would help with wind chill. Ah, no, that's true. <laughs> but, you know, people with this, these days, there is so much electromagnetic radiation out there, you know, from all sorts of electronic devices and so on. So people with this condition actually have to live far away in the in no man's land to get yeah. away from it. Otherwise they, well, you know, they feel ill. Well, even then you would not be getting away from it because think of all of the natural sources of electromagnetic radiation. But they wouldn't be anywhere near as, as powerful, though. No, they wouldn't be as powerful single-point sources, no. Well, actually, I'm sure you would find that sir, some of them would be. You might go out into the middle of nowhere to build your house if you had this condition and discover once you're dug down to put where your basement's going to be that, that you've struck one of the, the single-point sources of, <laughs> of a, a higher-level radiation. You've dug up a good rock. <laughs> I'm still amazed that people can actually detect. Well, I, mean, I guess they're not consciously detecting it, but mm. their their body is reacting to it. I'm, it's it's incredible. I I didn't think that that could even be possible, but there you go. Well, it's yeah, it's it's one of those interesting situations because the 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 Federal Communication Commission, the FCC in America, they don't recognise it. They set the EMF limits for cell phones and other devices so that they don't interfere with the spectrum. And, yeah, they say that the, the, the levels are far too low and could not affect anybody. Far too low for what? To be detected? To well, affect far it? too low to interact with um, the human bodily body. tissues. Right. Yeah. And a lot of researchers are saying that people with EHS are either being misdiagnosed or they are imagining it. The, the nocebo effect. Well, you if know, you think you, something's going to make you sick, it makes you sick. But you can do tests and experiments on that, actually, because, you know, you know double blind tests. Have someone push a button who doesn't know whether it generates a, a, a signal or not and have the person next to them tell them whether they sense the, the electromagnetic radiation and feel sick. Mm-hmm. Be interesting to do. Anyway, Brett, that's it would be interesting to do because all of the the the, the peer reviewed scientific evidence um, has overwhelmingly indicated that they do not pose that there is no public health risk from these devices. So, 
it will be yeah interesting to see if anybody has actually done any of those tests, those double blinds with somebody who suffers EHS. Well, I tell you what, if no one listening to this podcast would have EHS because they wouldn't be... <laughs> be well, they would be unconscious now. <laughs> they <laughs> would have been unconscious be... <laughs> once they turned their computer on. <laughs> so if you happen to be unconscious listening to us, oh no, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> all right, well, no, but... <laughs> if you happen to be unconscious and listening to us, <laughs> send all your money to... <laughs> Subliminal, yeah, I like it. <laughs> All right, Brett, those are our international stories. Uh, let's take a short break. When we come back, I want to talk about what Telecom's doing in light of its poor XT network performance. Don't go away. All right, welcome back. Now, this is crazy. Telecom are giving out two degrees SIM cards to hospital staff who are currently using the XT network. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. They're so, giving out. I know. They're giving out SIM cards to one of their rival networks. <laughs> so effectively, hey, notice that that's not Vodafone. They really hate oh, of Vodafone. Of course, it so would not be Vodafone. Anyone but Vodafone. They 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 chose the the new guy on the yeah, market. Absolutely. <laughs> so effectively, what they're saying is, yeah, our network sucks. It's unreliable. Don't use it. Use the opposition instead. Here, we'll give you we'll give you a SIM card to help you along. That's well, that's not exactly how they've put it. They've put it more: if XT drops out, use this one. Yeah, <laughs> which that's, does make you, which has the the same effect. It does make you think. Well, they've they know we're key people who need to have cellular access, access to a phone at the drop of a dime, and so they're giving us a secondary network SIM card. Because they have no confidence that their XT network is going to be up. The whole thing's a bit of a farce, really. It, oh, it's cost them so much money already. Oh, and yeah. How much more is it going to cost? How much more flogging of this dead horse are we going to have? What, what in the world has gone wrong? Well, it, was, it, was, it wasn't ready. It wasn't ready. It was released far it's too early. Far too early. Far too much pressure to get that thing out, and it has fallen over. <laughs> a couple of big heads have already rolled. What about the job losses of people who were involved in the setup of this network in the first place? Yeah, and, you know, t- Telecom <laughs> have don't or- hear about. Telecom have already stopped uh, switching people over to their XT network, so they're not taking new customers at the moment. So where is this going? Anyway, it's going to be interesting to see because people are wondering what's going to happen with the contracts because I think there's an expectation that a certain percentage of XT, I'm talking about corporate customers here, you know, a percentage of XT corporate customers will switch or at least uh, wait till the end of contract and then and then switch. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. Well, a lot of them will, you know, almost certainly be able to get out of their contracts because the contracts do stipulate in it what's a reasonable level of service, a reasonable level of standard and service from the network. And if it's an unreasonable level, then you can get out of the contract termination fee. And I would say that they've been providing an unreasonable level of standard of service. I think you might find a lot of people would agree with you, actually. Strangely <laughs> yes, enough. strangely enough. I tell you, tell you what I did on Twitter. I, I sent Vodafone a tweet saying, I'm looking to, this is not true, obviously, but I said, I'm looking to switch from telecom. Can you do a similar plan to what I had? 
textless nights and no phone weekends. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, the joke uh, didn't work because they came back and they came back and said, we already do free weekends and also best mate and family will help. So I actually I retweeted and I said, I don't think you get it. Textless nights and no phone weekends equals XT outages. And their response was, slaps forehead. Sorry, humor challenged. <laughs> so, you know, they, they got, we got there in the end with the joke, but uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> well, you know, that Vodafone person was probably overworked right then. <laughs> yeah, I know. They're, they're probably employed to... Well, actually, I'm surprised that it's, it's kind of weird how they, they're on Twitter. I don't, don't quite know who's doing it, but yeah. Mm. But yeah, so well, we can hope it's not one of the irate people from the telecom call center. <laughs> I might get a different tweet, yeah. Yes. <laughs> four, four letters followed by you. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, on that note, Brett, I think I'll conclude the show. That was episode 56. It's been a hoot. Thank you very much for co-hosting it with me, Brett. Always a pleasure, Edwin. And we'll do it all again next week. That's episode 56. Thank you very much to everyone listening to us. And don't forget to leave comments on our website, boysoftech.com. See you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.